Hi guys, Joe McNamara from AML RightSource here. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support of the AML Conversations channel. We really could not have gotten to this place without you. As AML RightSource continues to grow, our content library does as well. I'm excited to announce a new AML RightSource podcast series, Frankly Speaking, hosted monthly by creative director Elliot Berman. Frankly Speaking, as you all may have guessed, focuses on our CEO, Frank Ewing, and the specific challenges and situations related to business, career development, and other topics that Frank personally navigates week in and out. These sessions go for about 15 minutes once a month, and we're excited to announce our first episode released in the first week of February. Please feel free to give it a listen and tell us what you think. We hope you like it and subscribe to it as well. A link to the podcast page as well as additional information will be included in today's episode notes. Don't worry, this isn't going to change anything we're doing on the AML conversations or this week in AML front. We just figured it was time to open the library to some new content. Thanks for listening to this shameless plug and now back to your regularly scheduled episode. Hey, John, how are you today? I'm good, Elliot. And um, before we get started, I wanted to ask you, you know, we've added to our AML Conversations channel a new, um, what will be a series of interviews that you are hosting called Frankly Speaking. And I was able to listen to the first one, was excellent. Can you tell us a a little bit about that um, and sort of what's the, the rationale behind doing it? Sure. Uh, Thanks for bringing that up. So um, I'm sitting uh, monthly with our uh, CEO, Frank Ewing, and uh, we're going to talk about business related topics. You know, we uh, we talked about operating in these uh, challenging times. In the first one, we're going to talk about career. uh, You know, how do you build your career um, and uh, and other things in the business area as they come along as you as you mentioned it's called frankly speaking you can find it on our website on the podcast uh section you also can find it at soundcloud and at um uh itunes podcast so uh, we'd encourage you to sign up uh frank's a really smart guy he's got some great insights and uh he's fun to listen to so yeah thanks for bringing that up great and um let's just dive into it. You and I talked about this offline. Obviously one of the things we've been covering in our, in our weekly conversations uh, has included the, the, the major change and potential changes to AML infrastructure um, included in the uh, national defense authorization act. And we both sort of took a look and saw something on social media that we thought was worth talking about. And that was an article by Spencer Woodman, who's part of uh ICIJ, which is the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, which has done a, a, they're well known for a lot of things, including Panama Papers and the FinCEN files. And they talked a bit about, he talked a bit about legislation, the legislation and, and sort of both the potential impact and frankly, some of the things they thought should have been included. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I think one of the ones that caught my eye was uh, just um, uh, the the new ownership registry that's in the act. And um, uh, there was some concern expressed by, uh, by the author of the article uh, that it will not be a public registry. And um, uh, so, which uh, in the UK, um, they have a similar registry and it is public. Um, but um, I know you were involved in uh, uh, 
in getting the act passed, at least in terms of some of the technical components. Uh, uh, what did you think about that, um, that issue that he raised? Yeah, he's obviously he's right. The UK does have um, a public registry, as do some other countries. But I think you have to walk before you run. And um, I think the key here is there will be a registry. There will be access from federal law enforcement, state and local, although you have to go to court for that. So there are some uh, hurdles. And also for the financial sector that our, you know, our former industry is going to have access when they're going to need it. And we, you know, we recognize that the rationale for this registry is because even with the CDD rule of a couple of years ago, there's still... Um, a gap in information that's critical to figuring out beneficial ownership. So I think we should be more uh, you know, sort of clapping from the sidelines. And it's not that they are not, but they expect that there'll be further debate on this going forward. And I think that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, another uh, point that they made is they noted that uh, in the act that art dealers uh, don't have a suspicious uh, transaction reporting obligation and I know this is a, a, a topic that you know a great deal about and, and were a big champion of. Um, it feels like uh, the view is sort of, again, it's, they're talking about the glass being half empty, but there was a really important component that did get in. Um, and art dealers weren't left entirely behind, as I recall. Um, uh, give us your insights on that, John. Yeah, that's right. So obviously um, those that uh, sell and, and purchase uh, antiquities will be covered under the Bank Secrecy Act. That's a big win for uh, the AML infrastructure because clearly that's a space in which uh, some of those uh, products were used to move illicit funds. And that also is the case in the art world. Now, part of what I recall the rationale for them not being included right now, although there is a study I'll mention in a second, is, is because there was a quite a bit of a debate with the House and Senate staff and others regarding definitions. So, you know, I think a fair point, they were trying to do a lot at the same time, but they're not completely left off the list. So there's going to be a study with a strategy connected to it. And so at the end of that period of time, if the study shows that art is a, is a way to move illicit funds, they're going to be covered. And I cannot imagine in under any scenario where that study won't show that. So if they consult with all the proper stakeholders, law enforcement, the regulatory community, and obviously those in the private sector, they're going to find clear examples of this. So um, I wouldn't say a free pass for now. They're being watched. There'll be a study. Watch that study closely. And I think at the end of that process, art dealers will be in the same bucket as antiquities dealers. And that's only going to be a good thing for the AML regime. Yeah, I agree with you. I, this study did not feel like some of the studies, which are kind of the kick it down the road. We really don't want to talk about it. This really did seem to be a prove you shouldn't be. And if you can't, you know, then we're, we're the strategy will be let's go forward and, and get you into, you know, under the uh, umbrella of a regime. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Well, that um, good talk. Um, and thanks for uh, the chance to plug the new uh, podcast. And I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Take care, Elliot. Stay safe. You too. Bye-bye.